You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. My name is Joel Iprant. I get to serve here in Traverse City with an incredible team and an incredible church that, you know, I I love the work that we see God doing um, throughout the summer and now what he's building the ways he's been transforming us and mobilizing us as individuals and also as a community, the ways that we can legitimately say, like, we are the hands and feet of Jesus, not just ideologically, but physically in the community. There are needs that we see God meeting through people saying yes. Transformation, mobilization, we say this all the time. So thank you for being a part of that. If you're watching online, you're a part of it too. And I just want to say thank you for showing up, being the light and the love of Jesus wherever God has you. Um, it's just incredible to be a part um, of a church like this where God is moving in such a, a unique way. I want to catch you up to speed a little bit on a series that we're doing around here. It's called Unfiltered Jesus. And the thing about this series is really interesting to me is we're recognizing that when we think about Jesus, a lot of us have different filters. We have different uh, ideas, um, preconceived notions, images maybe that are in our head that has been formed. And maybe it's, it's what somebody else said about Jesus or maybe what, you know, what our imaginations tell us about Jesus. But the thing with this series we're trying to do is if we strip all of that stuff away, who did Jesus actually say he was? What did Jesus say he was? Who did Jesus say he was? And so the first week we talked about him being fully God. The second week, last week, we talked about him being fully human. And today, I want to talk about Jesus in a different way. And I'm, I'm going to put this on the screen because I want us to remember this. So it, today, we're talking about how Jesus is our sacrificial Savior. So I need you to say that with me. Say, sacrificial Savior. So when somebody asks you on Thursday or Friday night of this week, what was the message about on Sunday? You need to remember two words. I don't care if you remember the rest. Jesus is the sacrificial Savior. Say it again. All right. So this is what we're going to dive into today, and I, I want us to think about it. We're in a series right now called Knowing the One, and we're taking this, this whole season up until Christmas, and we're really just diving in like, who is Jesus and how can we know him better? And we talk about this, not just knowing facts about Jesus, but actually knowing him relationally, like knowing his character, knowing his goodness, knowing his love. Like, How do we actually know Jesus? And so this is the journey we're on. And, and I'm telling you right out of the gate, we're going to be encouraging you to go deeper and closer with Jesus in your faith than you've ever been. And I'm taking that challenge on my own. On, on my own. Like, I want to grow in my relationship, in my intimacy with Jesus. And so we're going to encourage you in the same way. And, and before we dive in and talk about Jesus as sacrificial Savior today, um, I want to invite our ushers to come forward. We're going to receive our offering. Um, listen, for those of you who give to this church, the movement, the ministry of Kensington TC, Kensington in general, not just locally, regionally, but also the global reach. It, it is fantastic to see um, what God is doing. Um, man, places like Kenya, places like Nepal, there's stories. And so when we partner together and give, we're, we're, we're not just giving and making a difference locally, regionally, but also globally. Um, and so if you're here, you're new or newer, no pressure, no guilt. Um, we do encourage you to prayerfully think about what it looks like to uh, give financially as a part of your faith journey. But um, for now, if you do give, thank you so much. I'm just going to um, 
show there's a couple ways to give on the screen. You can text the word Kensington to 77977. You can give on the app, the website, and then the offering. There's boxes in the back if you missed this. But let's pray, and then we'll jump in. Um, Lord, thank you for being here. Lord, we know that you're already here. So we ask that you remove the scales from our eyes, the busyness from our hearts. We just ask that we see you. We sense your presence. Sense your nearness in our lives. Lord, today as we dive into your word, we just ask that you, you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. You show us the ways that you want to say, bring saving to our lives. Um, Lord, as we give this morning, we ask that you take, you receive what we give. Lord, bless it, multiply it. Lord, use it for your purposes that your kingdom, your church uh, can represent your love in our community and in our world. Uh, Lord, be with us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As the uh, ushers are passing their offering, I, I want to celebrate something. This is the first summer that I haven't gotten poison ivy. Yeah. Amen. I never thought I'd get people to clap about that. It's pretty amazing. And things are going well so far for me. Every year since I was a kid, as long as I could remember, I get poison ivy. You know, like the, a, a dog goes and runs in poison ivy, and then I pet the dog, and then I'm full of poison ivy. Uh, my kids do the same thing. My dirt bike rides through poison ivy, it brushes up on it, then I get it. Like every stinking summer, I get poison ivy, except this one. Now, somebody here is probably like, don't brag too early. Remember what happened last week for the cornhole? You're talking smack, and then you... But, but this is the first year I haven't gotten poison ivy. I remember a couple summers, uh, I got so fed up with poison ivy, I made a commitment, an internal commitment to myself. I am not going to the doctor. I don't care how bad it gets, I'm not going to the doctor. So, I mean, it got worse and worse and worse, and I didn't know where it was coming from. And I remember taking paper towel and soaking it, because I was just stubborn. My wife is not here, because she'd call me out even more. But uh, I was so stubborn of, to not go to the doctor, not go to the person I need to go to to get help. I would take paper towel, soak it in apple cider vinegar, and just try to burn it off. And I ended up like even bigger on my arm. And it got so bad. It just got so bad, so painful. Finally, one day I was like, I'm an idiot. And I went to the doctor, and I got the shots, and I got the pills, and eventually it got better. You ever find yourself in a season where you know who you need to go to to get better, but for some reason, there's a stubbornness in you that's like, no, nah, I'm not doing it. I got this. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody else stubborn like me? It's like, you know where you need to go. You know who you know, need to go see. You, need, you know what you need to, to do to get better, but you refuse to do it for some dumb reason. We're talking about Jesus in this way. And I'm not talking about poison ivy. I'm talking about other things in life. I'm talking about, man, we know, oftentimes we know that Jesus is the person we need to go to, but for some reason we stand far away and we say, no, I got this. I'm not going. I'm stubborn. I, I refuse. I, I'm going to do this on my own. And so we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about how Jesus 
is the one who saves. He is the one we need to go to when we want to get better. Things like navigating our negativity, the, the pain that we're experiencing, our suffering, our hurt, our unforgiveness, our bitterness, our lack of joy or purpose or ambition. We're going to talk about how Jesus is the one that we go to. So this is what I want to do, because Jesus is that guy. This is what I want to do. I want to talk about today three things. It's going to be easy to follow, but I'm going to unpack these three things. The first thing is Jesus is Savior. The second thing is Jesus is my, our, your Savior, making it a little bit more personal. And the last part of this message is going to be about how Jesus is my sacrificial Savior. And we're going to take communion together to celebrate and and to remember that. And so first, I want to start out and talk about the first one. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is the one who saves. Now, this idea is so central to the Christian faith, it's everywhere. It's saturated through the Gospels, and it seeps into the New Testament like Jesus is the one who saves. He is Savior. And so here's, here's some backdrop. I want to give some backdrop and context to this. Prior to Jesus, the Jewish people had this belief that God was their Savior. The Lord is my Savior. You can see it in the Hebrew Scriptures over and over and over again. The Lord is my Savior. He alone is the one who saves the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, like God is their Savior. So they held on to this belief. It was core. It was central to their lives and their faith. But they also had a question. And the question was kind of kind of emerged because things got so bad, whether it was the Assyrians or the Babylonians, or now in the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire, the question was, we need a Savior sent by God to help free and liberate us from the oppression that we're facing. So it was a belief that they held, God is our Savior, but it was also a question, where is he? You with me? And, and so for the Jewish people, there was a, 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 a season of silence that took place where it was like God wasn't speaking. Do you ever have seasons in your life where you feel like God somehow was put on mute? You just don't sense him or don't feel him? You ever, you ever feel that? It's like, man, where, where? like I sensed you and I felt you and your presence and your work in my life for so long. And then all of a sudden it gets kind of quiet. This is the season that the Jewish people were in. And, and, and this is a scripture when they're looking for their Savior. Here's a scripture that comes from Isaiah talking about this Savior that they're looking for. It says, The Lord has made proclamation to the ends of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, See, your Savior comes. See, his reward is with him, and his recompense accompanies him. They will be called holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, and you will be called, pay attention to this, sought after. You will be called the people of God that experience the saving from this Savior are going to be called sought after, the city no longer deserted. So they're looking for a Savior. They're looking, they're desperately looking for someone who would show up, seek them, and save them. And so this is where the Jesus story answers this question of, of Savior. And I want to go to Luke because we're spending time in Luke for the next year just exploring the different dynamics and dimensions of Luke. So if we go to Luke and we look at even the announcement of Jesus' birth to Mary, we see this idea of Jesus as Savior. So a lot of times we'll read this scripture around Christmas, but this is, 
This is when the angel shows up to Mary. Check this out. The angel went to her, Mary, and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him. And everybody said? Jesus. Now, before we gloss over this, Jesus' name isn't any name. In the original language, Jesus' name was Yeshua. And Yeshua was actually a a Greek word, an idea that, that combined two different names. It was the name of the Lord, Yahweh, and Shua was Savior. And put, the, put those two together and you get Yeshua. Now, it was translated from Greek to Latin, and then when it went from Latin to English, that's where we get Jesus from. But it was a combination of these two names, Yahweh and Shua. Now, if you were to translate it straight from Greek to English, Yeshua is more along the lines of Joshua. And that's reminiscent of Joshua who led the people of God from the wilderness and into the promised land. He was a savior. He was a savior figure for the people of God. And so now Jesus acquires this name. The angel shows up to Mary and says his name. This this child that you're about to give birth to, his name is going to be Savior sent from God, Savior God. Now remember, this is in a period of time where God seems to be quiet. They're desperate for a Savior to show up. And when the angel speaks to Mary, he says, you will name your child Savior God. But that's not the only thing the angels did. The angels also showed up to shepherds in the countryside. And and this is what they said to the country, to the shepherds in the countryside. But to the angels, but the angels said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a, say it, Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Now, if you think about this, the angel is showing up to Mary and saying, this is the guy. This is the guy. This is your Savior. And then the angels show up to the shepherds and they announce to the shepherds that this, this child that was born is the Savior. And they're spreading word about this. And so, this is Jesus' birth. This is how he emerged into the world. Now, if he grew up, eventually he went to the temple courts. He spent time studying. We, we, we see little glimpses of this through the Gospels, but eventually he starts not just recognizing that this is his identity. He starts embracing this as his purpose. And as he's doing ministry like Jesus did, part of me loves that he did some of the things that he did, like, like he didn't just spend time in holy huddles with other religious people who were good like him, like he left those pockets and those bubbles, and he would go to the places in society where those, those other people were, the dirty people, the, the people who couldn't get life figured out, the people who chose a different path, and Jesus would go and spend time with them, the very people that the religious community kind of shunned and turned their backs to. And so as Jesus is doing this one time, it says he was eating with, with, with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. He's spending time with this group of people. The religious community is starting to question, like, what is, what is he doing? Why is he spending time with them? And this is where Jesus shares kind of what I call his mission statement. 
And I, and I love it. This is what he says. This is where he starts to embrace his purpose. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is, if this is, like, I don't know any other statement that would represent Jesus' mission statement more than this. Jesus, he came, he's saying, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. They were wondering, what are you doing with those people? And Jesus is saying, man, I, I came to seek and to save anybody who was lost. Now, sidebar, if you're a church or you're a follower of Jesus or you're trying to figure out how to, how to love people in your community, I think this should guide the way we think. Shouldn't it? Like if, Jesus, if this was Jesus' mission statement and he's being criticized from the religious community and then this is the answer he gives, don't you think the church in 2023 should really pay attention to this statement? He came to seek and save the lost. He came to seek. He came to go after people. People, when they didn't think they need to be sought, he came and he came to go after them. We see this time and time again in the Gospels. He didn't stay in his holy huddle. He sought out the marginalized. He sought out the sick, the poor, those who were oppressed. This is one of the main criticisms the religious community had about Jesus. He didn't stay in his comfortable bubble. He went after people and he engaged with, with the people that the religious community turned their backs on. Remember that verse from Isaiah? It said they will be called the sought-after ones. He came to seek and to save. To, he, he sought after them. This is what Jesus does. He came to seek and save. He wants to seek in order to save. This is his identity. This is his purpose. This is, I mean, in this one statement, he's almost declaring that he is the fulfillment. He is the Savior. He is the fulfillment of of this prophecy from Isaiah, this Savior God desires to help the lost and the wandering and the oppressed and the discouraged and the sick. He came to save us when we don't think we need to be saved. He came to save us from the dis destructive tendencies that we have in life. He came to save us from the ways that we've been victimized or hurt or wounds that we have that we've acquired through the years. He didn't just want to seek people, but he wanted to save people. Now, I hear all the time, like, well, that's, that's vague. Like, what, what does save even mean? The next thing he says is he, he wanted to seek and save the lost. And so the question I often hear is, well, what, what does it mean to be lost? And I want to talk about lostness for a second. Because if you look at his life and ministry, you see this kind of emerge in two ways. You see it systemically. Now, by this... I mean, you could talk about the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was built to lift up one group of people, and in doing so, it pushed down another group of people. It's systemic. You, you could see, see this in the religious structures of the time, which meant to build up a certain group of people, but in doing so, it pushed down another group of people. So systemically, you see this even in our modern times. You see racism and sexism. You see these systems built any system that places a higher value on certain people and in doing so it pushes down another group of people is systemic lostness. And Jesus came to try to save people who were in the midst of systemic 
lostness. Are you with me? Now, there's, there's another kind of lostness, and this is individual lostness. This is like our sins, so our brokenness, things that I do, decisions I make that are not in line with God's calling and intent and purpose for my life. That's another kind of lostness. A lot of times we think about this, but when we talk about lostness in Jesus' ministry, we see two kinds of lostness. We see systemic and individual, and Jesus came to seek and save people who suffered from both. Now, I love, there's a story that I want to share about this. Now, we, we know this is Jesus' identity. It's who the angel said he was. It's his name. This is his purpose. He came to seek and save the lost, uh, Luke 19.10. This is what he claimed to do. This is why he was sent. And then we see another story that emerges that kind of puts this into play and helps us see how this actually played out. And I just want to read it. It comes from Luke 5. One day Jesus was teaching and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to what? Heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now look at what Jesus says next. This is fascinating. When Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? His friends. Not the faith of the paralyzed person. When Jesus saw the faith of the friends lowering this paralyzed person down, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, well, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of everyone. He took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Can you just, do you see the story in your head? Now, I heard a lot of sermons on this story through the years. Like some sermons are like, we got to eliminate all the barriers that exist and bring people to Jesus. And those are great sermons. I love them. I heard other sermons about this who were like, um, how important it is for us to bring people to Jesus. Like our faith can help other people if we can get them in closer proximity with Jesus. Have you heard those sermons? Those are good sermons. What I'm fascinated by here is that this leper, this man with leprosy, comes to Jesus, whose name is Savior God, who has said that his purpose is to seek and save the lost, and what he does is he heals the man and forgives his sin. 
He does both. He says that he forgives sin, and the religious community freaks out like, who do you think you are, Mr. Savior God-man? And, and then it stirs up a controversy, and then he heals this leper that people had known he couldn't walk for a long time, maybe his whole life. And the man stands up, takes his mat, and leaves, and everybody's wigging out. This is the, this is the claim of Jesus. We talk about unfiltered Jesus, removing all these filters that we have. Who did Jesus say he was? This is who he said he was. Jesus has the power to heal and the authority to forgive. You want to know an unfiltered Jesus? You want to know what Jesus was about and what he said about himself? Jesus has the power to heal and the authority to forgive. That's who he is. That's what we believe. As a church, we come around him, we believe in him, we recognize, man, he has a power to save us that is unlike anything else. Not only can he bring healing to the wounds and pains and experiences of life that we've acquired through the years, but he has the power to wipe away the sin that we carry, the guilt that we have. With this series, we said, though, that we're not just content about knowing about Jesus, like so far we've been talking about knowing about Jesus. We've looked at Israel, looked at his identity, looked at his purpose, looked at a story. We've learned a lot. There's some things we looked at about Jesus. But the second thing I want to talk about is how Jesus is my Savior. Because there, there is a big difference between saying Jesus is the Savior and Jesus is my Savior. I need you just to pay attention for a second, and I need you just to think about this, because one of these things, Jesus is the Savior, is a theological statement. It's good. It's a belief that we have. But the second part of this, Jesus is my Savior, that's not a theological statement. That's a testimony, and that's a big difference. And I think sometimes we can think Jesus is is the Savior, but I want us to make it more personal. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is your Savior. Like Jesus isn't just the Savior. He's my Savior. Jesus saved me from anxiety. Jesus saved me from depression. Jesus saved me from from my marriage almost failing. Jesus saved me from the gripping fear that plagued my life. You see the difference? This one gets closer to home. Jesus gave me purpose and hope. Jesus gave meaning to my life. Jesus helped forgive me. Jesus saved my relationship with my dad. I want you to think about this. If we're talking about the difference between Jesus as the Savior and Jesus as my Savior, What are some things in your life that you need to be saved from right now? You don't have to tell anybody, but I want you to think about it. What are some tensions that you face? Conflicts that are ongoing, wounds that you have. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe you're making decisions right now that nobody knows about, and you know, you know they're off course. What do you you need 
Jesus to save you from? In a room like this, sometimes I just think, man, there, there's pain. There's brokenness. We walk in here on a Sunday morning and we put on our clothes and button the top button. And it feels hot and it feels stuffy, but man, sometimes I just think, man, we have to recognize Jesus doesn't just want to be the Savior. He wants to be our Savior. He wants to save us from the things in our life that plague us. And we can't continue to just say theological statements without accepting that this is also a testimony. This is why we sing songs like, come to the altar. Take a step. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come up here if you don't want to. I, I believe in physical steps. I believe physical steps are good to take. So, like taking steps toward him. But you could just say this in your head, Lord, save me. And you could even fill in the blank. Save me from whatever it is. You could say things like, Lord, be my Savior. Not just the Savior, be, be my Savior. Come to the altar. Ask Him to save. Ask Him to heal. Ask Him to forgive. Don't just know that He's the Savior and stay away from Him and pull a poison ivy guy. If we know he's the Savior, let's go to him for saving. The third part, as we prepare for communion this morning, and if you're watching online, I just encourage you to grab something that you have. Maybe it's in your house, something to eat, something to drink. I mean, it doesn't have to be that specific, but we're going to celebrate communion in a bit. But I want us to think about how he was a completely different kind of Savior. He was a completely different kind of Savior than anybody expected. People expected a Savior to show up and to have this worldly power and aggression, a Savior that would fight for them, somebody who would match the powers of the world, that would defeat and destroy the enemies around them to conquer and suppress and push down the Roman Empire. And when Jesus shows up, he, he showed different tendencies. He didn't he didn't display the same power that matched the world around them. People expected a Savior that would fight for them, and what they got was a Savior who died for them. Instead of fighting, he absorbed the corrupt powers, the sin, the evil, the brokenness of the world. He absorbed it onto himself. He was crushed under the weight of sin and death both systemically and also individually. He experienced the systemic oppression of sin and also the individual anger, the reality of sin that he encountered with people. Instead of fighting for them, he died for them. And this is what we celebrate when we take communion. This is what we remember when we take communion. He, he was crushed under the weight of sin and death. And when he was resurrected... He overcame 
the powers of sin and death. He conquered the, sour, the, the powers of sin and death. And so when we believe in him and when we live in and through him, we're able to experience the same kind of healing and the same kind of forgiveness and the same kind of freedom that he intended for us. Jesus isn't just my Savior. He's my sacrificial Savior. In his love, he was willing to be crushed on my behalf. What a Savior is this? Unrecognized by the world, and here we are 2,000 years later, we get to celebrate this as the center of our church service. I just... Just say something in your head. Jesus, thank you for saving me. Just, just say it to yourself. Jesus, thank you for saving me. I'm a knucklehead and I make dumb decisions sometimes. I do the things that I don't want to do. Things that I know I shouldn't do. Life has left me wounds, scars. Sometimes there's unforgiveness. Lord, I'm asking you to save me from my brokenness. Save me from my pain and my wounds. Save me from my sin. Lord, today, Lord, we're grateful to go through a season. We are just zooming in on who you are, how you love us, who you said you are. Lord, today as we Look at how you are our sacrificial Savior. Lord, I pray that it moves and becomes more than just a theological statement in our life, but it becomes a reality. It becomes a testimony where every single person in this room has a story of a way that you've saved them. Lord, as we receive communion together, we ask that you make your presence known display your love overflow it in our hearts and be super near we pray this in Jesus name Amen You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast If you've enjoyed this recording check back weekly for new content You can find Kensington on Facebook Instagram and Twitter and of course at kensingtonchurch.org